quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper, and we begin today with breaking news. Two days after it became clear that Joe Biden had been elected 46th president of the United States, Biden is now beginning his transition. President-elect Biden is making an appeal to the nation for unity and the end of polarization in the United States. Yet this happens as the same, at the same time that President Trump is refusing to accept defeat and is instead lashing out. This afternoon, as his lame duck session as president began, Trump fired his Secretary of Defense, Mark Esper. Senior administration officials tell CNN that Secretary Esper has been pushing back on President Trump since last year. Esper was among officials in 2019 who urged Trump to release that aid to Ukraine, aid that Trump used as leverage for dirt on Biden. Esper cautioned Trump not to completely pull troops out of northern Syria. And after force was used against protesters outside the White House this summer, Esper publicly denounced the move, said he regretted his presence and was careful to try to keep the U.S. military out of the realm of the president's political desires. Secretary Esper may just be the first firing. A senior administration official tells me that Esper is worried that President Trump will also soon fire FBI Director Christopher Wray and CIA Director Gina Haspel next. A separate administration source also tells me that President Trump's personnel chief at the White House is threatening to fire members of the administration if he hears that they are even looking for another job. Plus, this afternoon, we're learning of new coronavirus cases in President Trump's orbit. Sources telling CNN that Trump advisor David Bossie has tested positive for coronavirus, as well as coronavirus task force member and housing secretary Ben Carson. We have our CNN correspondents covering all angles of the incoming and outgoing administrations, the deadly pandemic and the economic impact. We're going to start with CNN's Caitlin Collins, who's at the White House for us, and a closer look at the turmoil and uncertainty gripping the West Wing. President Donald Trump terminating Defense Secretary Mark Esper in his first major act since losing the election. Trump announcing on Twitter that Secretary Esper had been fired and a senior intelligence official will take his place for the next two months. The move was announced suddenly, though it was months in the making. Mark Esper? Did you call him Jesper? Oh, okay. Some people call him Jesper. On his way out, Esper took issue with that description. He told the Military Times, who's pushed back more than anybody? Name another cabinet secretary that's pushed back. Have you seen me on a stage saying, under the exceptional leadership of blah, 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 we have blah, blah, blah? Esper and Trump clashed this summer over the president's attempts to use active duty troops on American streets to control protests against police brutality. I do not support invoking the Insurrection Act. But Esper may not be Trump's last firing. Sources say Attorney General Bill Barr, FBI Director Christopher Wray and CIA Director Gina Haspel could be next to go. Esper's firing amounted to President Trump controlling what he could while contesting what he can't. He's refused to concede the election to President-elect Joe Biden and spent the weekend out of public view with the exception of two trips to the golf course. 
Some in the president's inner circle are delicately pushing him to come to grips with reality and concede, while others are telling him to keep fighting and even suggesting running again in four years. Grover Cleveland came back. Donald Trump should think about it if he falls short. Neither Trump nor Vice President Mike Pence have called Biden or Senator Kamala Harris. Today, Pence tweeted that he told his staff, quote, it ain't over till it's over and this ain't over. On the day Biden announced his transition task force on the pandemic, Pence met with the one that he leads for the first time in nearly 20 days. The meeting happening the same day news broke that another person in Trump's orbit has contracted COVID-19. HUD Secretary Dr. Ben Carson tested positive today after attending an indoor election night party at the White House with hundreds of others, where a few were wearing a mask and none were social distancing. And Jake, now we're learning Ben Carson is not the only one in the president's circle. We have also that Dave Bossie, who was a campaign aide in 2016, he's an advisor right now, has also tested positive for coronavirus. And the problem that poses for Trump world, Jake, is that he was just tapped to oversee the legal challenges that they're carrying out in several of these critical battleground states as they are fighting the outcome of this election. So Dave Bossie, the person who's supposed to be in charge of that, now has coronavirus and is is quarantining at home, we should note. And Jake, back Back to that firing of the defense secretary, we're told that he got about a five-minute heads up from the chief of staff, Mark Meadows, who called him to let him know the president was going to be tweeting that he was firing him earlier today. All right, Caitlin Collins at the White House. And, of course, our, our thoughts and best wishes go out to Secretary Carson and Dave Bossie on their recovery from the coronavirus. Today, uh, President-elect Joe Biden is focused on moving forward. This election is over. It's time to put aside the, part, the partisanship and the rhetoric that designed to demonize one another. It's time to end the politicization of basic, responsible public health steps. President-elect Biden is turning his attention to the coronavirus pandemic after he and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris were briefed by the transition team's newly announced coronavirus advisory board, as CNN's Arlette Sines now reports for us. Good afternoon, everyone. On his first workday as president-elect, Joe Biden turned his attention straight to his top priority, tackling the coronavirus pandemic. I will spare no effort to turn this pandemic around once we're sworn in on January 20th. With Vice President-elect Kamala Harris at his side, Biden warned of the pandemic's severity after the U.S. saw a record-breaking weekend in coronavirus cases. The challenge before us right now is still immense and growing. We're still facing a very dark winter. Biden welcomed progress on a vaccine while urging Americans to embrace masks to curb the growing spread of the virus. Mask is not a political statement, but it is a good way to start pulling the country together. The president-elect stressed his response will be guided by science, unveiling a new coronavirus task force led by a former U.S. Surgeon General former FDA commissioner and Yale University professor. Also on the team, Rick Bright, the whistleblower who alleged his early warnings about the pandemic went ignored by the Trump administration. More people are going to die because scientists are being pushed back. Scientists are not being heard. In the days since his win, Biden has seen a wave of messages from world leaders, 
today speaking by phone with Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and congratulatory statements from the King of Saudi Arabia and Israel's Prime Minister, two men seen as allies of President Trump. The president-elect already looking ahead to the next chapter. This election is over. It's time to put aside the, part the partisanship and the rhetoric that designed to demonize one another. While President-elect has received well wishes from world leaders, back here at home, only four Republican senators have congratulated the, the President-elect, the latest being Nebraska's Senator Ben Sass, who gave a statement to his hometown paper, the Omaha World Herald, saying that he congratulates the next president and the next vice president. Jake, quite the contrast from the majority of the Senate Republican caucus. All right, Arlette Sines, uh, thanks so much for covering that. Uh, President-elect Biden's White House Victory, combined with some extremely encouraging news about a potential coronavirus vaccine, sent stocks soaring today in one of the best days of the year on Wall Street. That's our money lead today. CNN business anchor Julia Chatterley joins me now live. Julia, is this a one-time spike or, or do you expect to see more major gains this week? Hmm, the multi-trillion dollar question. I tell you what, Jake, it will be easier to answer that if we weren't already trading at or around record highs for these stock markets and if we weren't already knee deep in a pandemic that's getting worse. If I had to guess, I'd say we probably move higher. We're going to get more of these vaccine announcements and big investors are telling me, look, this is the beginning of the end of the COVID-19 pandemic. But none of the current issues, of course, are addressed by this vaccine. Let me give you a sense of what moved today. Everything that's been beaten up in the last six months, gathered speed and gained ground today. So we're talking airline stocks like Delta. We're talking uh, Carnival Cruise Lines. Look at the performance there, up 38% today. Disney now flat on the year, up 12%. All those that have benefited from the work from home and the stay-at-home phase, Netflix, we've watched too much TV. Seen, we've seen some profit-taking here, down 8%. Clorox, we've washed our hands so much, down 10%. You get the sense of what we're seeing here. So potentially we see more of these kind of moves, but it's not going to be a straight line, Jake. And I think the critical thing is don't look at this vaccine news and don't look at markets and think the crisis is over here because it's not. Oh, absolutely not. Uh, Julia, when President-elect Biden takes office in Janu January, what do you see as, as the biggest hurdles uh, on the economic mm -hmm. front that he's going to face right away? Where do I start? We still have triple crises here. We have the health crisis to tackle. We have economic crisis to tackle and we have a jobs crisis. And the critical, critical thing here, Jake, to understand is they will probably be worse when he takes over than they are today without lack of policy action, either from Congress on more financial aid or if people continue to follow the White House here rather than listening even to what Joe Biden said today about basic things like wearing a mask. I've lost count of the number of analysts that are saying, look, we're getting a V-shaped star recovery. The data's better than we thought. Forget that. We've still got 21 million Americans claiming some form of jobless support. Millions of those Americans were struggling before we came into this crisis and the pandemic is continuing. So again, I'll reiterate, he is picking up the pieces of multiple crises here. Oh boy, has he got a challenge ahead and don't ask, underestimate that. Oh yeah, huge, huge challenge. Julia Chatterley, yeah. thank you so much, appreciate it. He predicted Trump's rage could lead to Secretary Esper's firing. Up next, Democratic Senator Chris Murphy will join me with reaction and what the new look Senate could mean for the Biden administration. Also ahead, major news on the coronavirus vaccine front, but how soon could this vaccine be made available theoretically? Our Dr. Sanjay Gupta will join me with answers. Stay with us. 
In our 2020 lead, moments ago, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said that President Trump is, quote, 100 percent within his rights to wage a legal fight against the election results. Most Republican lawmakers are either staying silent or backing President Trump's decision to not concede, some even bolstering the president's false claims that there was widespread voter fraud, even though there has been no credible proof of widespread voter fraud, fraud that has been put forward. Joining me now, Democratic Senator Chris Murphy uh, of Connecticut. Uh, Senator Murphy, only four of your Republican colleagues, uh, Senator Susan Collins, who was just reelected, Senator Lisa Murkowski, uh, Senator Mitt Romney, and Senator Ben Sass. only four of them have, have acknowledged that President-elect Joe Biden is President-elect. Uh, others are actively pushing Trump to, to keep the fight going. Take a listen. Okay. Trump has not lost. Do not concede, Mr. President. Fight hard. I believe President Trump still has a path to victory, and that path is to count every single legal vote that was cast, but also not to cast any votes that were fraudulently cast or illegally cast. And we have a legal process to determine what's legal and what isn't. Now, the Trump campaign has not put anything forward uh, that we have seen as a credible evidence of widespread fraud uh, that Republican election lawyers like Ben Ginsburg say should be taken seriously or would change the outcome in, in any state. Um, what's your response to your colleagues, not the four who have acknowledged reality, but the others? This isn't Florida in 2000. Uh, this isn't a couple hundred votes. This is tens of thousands of votes. Uh, and absent any evidence of fraud or mishandling of the vote, the president needs to concede. Uh, and I think what you're seeing from most of my Republican colleagues is just um, the reality within the Republican Party today. The reality within the Republican Party is that Donald Trump runs it. He ran it for the last four years and he's going to run it for the next four years. And so Republicans, by and large, don't want to get on the wrong side of this president because they still operate in fear of him and what he could do to their political future. Unfortunately, uh, that is the modern Republican Party. Uh, now, there are real consequences, if you, as you have talked about, uh, regarding the president's lack of concession, uh, because we need to get about the business of transition. It's complicated. It involves um, American national security to make sure that there's a smooth um, transfer of power. And if that cannot happen, then that puts our nation's security at risk. Yesterday on Twitter, you said that a lame duck White House could lead to, quote, pre uh, President Trump's post-defeat rage and the possible firings of Defense Secretary Mark Esper, CIA Director Gina Haspel, uh, now that Esper has been fired, and to be fair, uh, Jonathan Swan from Axios uh, wrote that this might happen about a week or so ago, so I'm not giving you credit for uh, your prognostication. Uh, but now that Esper has been fired, what's your reaction? It's uh, unexpected, and it might not be the end of this purge. Uh, the president is furious, and he likely has others in the national security infrastructure in his sights. Our adversaries are watching. Uh, our adversaries are looking at the potential vulnerability of U.S. national security, uh, and they may take action. Uh, I think about a country like China, who may want to take the next logical step with respect to a crackdown in Hong Kong, may want to do something even more provocative, like take a run at one of the disputed islands uh, off their coast. Uh, and in doing so, they may believe that they could gain an advantage because there is no defense secretary. There may not be a CIA director. The president may decide not to respond to their actions abroad. And then by the time that Joe Biden is sworn in, it may be too late to reverse uh, those very uh, escalatory mm -hmm. and disturbing actions. So I think we have to watch for all of that. I have to, you know, we have to acknowledge here, uh, even though uh, President Trump lost the presidential election and Joe Biden uh, won, 
Um, the Republican Party is clearly still very popular in much of the country. They gained at least eight seats in the House. They held on to key seats in the Senate. Uh, and depending on what happens in, in Georgia, they might maintain control of the Senate. This election was not an embrace of, of democratic or progressive values. Um, what went wrong for your party? Oh, I don't think anything went wrong. We beat a president maybe in the end by seven million votes. We gained seats in the Senate. Listen, this is a divided country. There's no doubt about it. And to get anything done in Washington in the next two years, you're going to have to reach out across the aisle. And, you know, our intention is to uh, try to do that. The only way you're going to get a coronavirus relief bill done is with Republicans and Democrats supporting it, for instance. So um, I don't think that it's any surprise. We did, you know, we won more seats than we lost uh, across the board. And uh, ultimately, we're going to have to govern together with Republicans. I mean, I'm going to push back a little here, Senator. Joe Biden won the presidency by a big margin, and you picked up, your party picked up one seat in the Senate. You lost the race in Maine. You lost the race in Iowa. You lost the race in Montana. I could go on and on. You lost the race in North Carolina. I mean, Schumer thought he was going to be the majority leader, and he's not. I mean, obviously, something went wrong. Well, I'm not sure a year ago that people thought that we would have had so many potential Senate seats in play. Um, but, but, but let me humor you for a second, Jake, because I don't think you're wrong. I mean, we should do an assessment. We should always be doing assessments as a party about how we can be better. Um, President Trump from the White House over the last four years was able to sort of maintain a status of an outsider. Uh, and Democrats, I believe, are the party of reform. We're the party of real top-down economic reform. We're the party of reform to our democracy. Um, and I think we have to be much more vocal um, in uh, those policies that are going to dramatically alter the nature of our economy or are going to put voters back in charge rather than big donors uh, of our government. And I think the president has been successful in being the anti-status quo party. The Democrats should hold that mantle, and we've got to do a better job job of explaining uh, why over the next two to four years. Biden has a history of making deals with McConnell. Uh, a lot, of course, has changed in the past four years. How much of Biden's agenda do you think can really get done if Republicans keep control of the Senate, which seems possible, if not likely? Well, I do think it's really important that we win these two seats in Georgia. I know that folks may you know, think that that's a long shot. I don't agree. Uh, I think that there are a lot of voters who voted for Joe Biden in Georgia who are going to want to give him a chance to actually implement his agenda. And my belief is that, well, you are right that Mitch McConnell and Joe Biden have a history of working together, that it is probably more likely than not that uh, Mitch McConnell is going to stand in the way of much of that agenda. So I think we have a chance to litigate that question in Georgia coming up in early uh, January and in the meantime try to put pressure on McConnell to at the very least make sure that Joe Biden gets the opportunity to put a cabinet in place. All right, Senator Chris Murphy, Democrat of Connecticut, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Why the Trump administration's refusal to officially start the transition process could have serious national security implications. That's next. We're back with the 2020 lead as President-elect Joe Biden is focused on the coronavirus pandemic today, convening a meeting of his new COVID task force. President Trump has given no official remarks since his election defeat. Instead, he's been fuming about the results on Twitter, uh, where he declared that his defense secretary, Mark Esper, had been terminated this afternoon. Uh, let's discuss with our panel. And Karen Finney, uh, this could just be the beginning of this lame duck session. Um, what else do you think might happen? I feel like we are in for what we've been in for for the last four years. Who knows? I mean, look, this is a, a 
now almost former president who is in search of relevance. So whether it is firing someone like Secretary Esper out of what appears to be personal grudges, we should expect to see more of this kind of behavior uh, in addition to challenging the election, acting more like a child than uh, a president who should be going out of office with some degree of dignity. Bill, viewers at home might think, you know, president like Biden's going to take over in two months and replace these officials anyway. Why does it matter? Um, why does it matter? Well, it's interesting. He didn't just you know, fire uh, Secretary Asper. He did let the deputy secretary step up, who presumably is familiar with what's going on at the department. I have no problem with Mr. Miller. He's well-respected, but he hasn't been at the department or the, in the heart of it for quite a while, maybe really ever. If he now fires the CIA director, as is rumored, I think you reported this, and possibly the FBI director, I mean, A, it just weakens the U.S. federal government at a time that's always a little problematic, a transition, right, when foreign adversaries might look to take advantage. And B, one does wonder what Trump has in the back of his mind in terms of possible uh, range of things that he could do to use the par- different parts of the federal government for on his way out the door. Let's talk about the, uh, the idea of a transition for a second, because it's not something a lot of people pay much attention to in the public. You might remember Chris Christie had done all the transition planning for Trump back in 2016, and then Jared Kushner took that binder and threw it in the trash, and they started from scrap, and, and frankly, they made some big mistakes. Karen, you worked on the transition, transition team uh, for Bill Clinton back in 1992, where George H.W. Bush and his administration uh, were graceful and, and completely cooperative. It's even under the best circumstances, it's a major undertaking. Oh, absolutely. And you know, Jake, we've been talking so much about a, uh, a peaceful transition. We also need to have a smooth transition because remember, the business of government goes on from Monday to Tuesday to Wednesday. And if you're looking for a small business loan, you don't, you don't want to be like the person with a new apartment waiting for the cable guy to come, right? Things have to continue to work and work the very, you know, at 1201 when the new president is sworn in, You know, people have to be answering the phones. There is still work to be done. Traditionally, what happens is that at this time, there should be, you know, GSA. There are some services that are made available to the president-elect. My job was actually in early January to go and take a look uh, at office space that would become Hillary Clinton's West Wing office and her office office space for our team uh, in the old executive office building. Because, again, you've got agency reviews to do. You've got staffing to do. You've got office space to worry about all so that you you can have a smooth transition for the good of the American people. Bill, one can, I, can I just add a word to ahead. that, Jake? Yeah, because I was in the yeah. H.W. Bush White House as Vice President Quayle's Chief of Staff. There are also things that happened during the transition. So as I recall, and I haven't looked this up, I might have the date slightly wrong. I think it was in December of 1992 that we sent troops into uh, Somalia, into Mogadishu, an ill-fated expedition as it happened. But that was that was it was a major commitment. Uh, President Bush discussed it with President-elect Clinton. I was a bit player, but I remember calling my incoming counterpart, Roy Neal, I think it was going to be Al Gore's chief of staff. I was the vice president's chief of staff just to say, heads up, your boss is going to be getting a call from Brent Scowcroft explaining what's happening. We're not asking you to necessarily support it, but, you know, just to understand what you're going to be inheriting. It makes uh, that didn't turn out so well. So maybe it's a, not a great example of, of how important transitions are. But, you know, we're a powerful country with a lot of interests around the world. And you hate to have a total disconnect between the outgoing government and the income. Right. I mean, even if you take the position that President Trump uh, has every right to pursue uh, every legal remedy that he wants to in courts or with uh, before election boards, which is true, it, he has every right to do so. It doesn't look as though there's any possible path, but if he wants to do that, he can. Uh, there still needs to be the transition process. Um, and, uh, Bill, one National Security Council official told CNN, 
uh, that they've not received any guidance on the transition. And, quote, I think it's going to be messy um, if the Trump GSA official is not allowing the transition to go forward, which is, appears to be the case based on uh, reporting. What does that mean? Well, it means things both formally. I mean, I think the FBI can still perhaps do the briefings and start processing security clearances. But there's a lot of informal coordination that you would want to have happening. Yeah, McConnell said that the president has every right to do this. You know, I'm old enough to remember when conservatives especially made a distinction between what someone has a right to do and what the right thing to do is. And we used to think the president's sometimes at least should try to do the right thing, not just exercise every possible, arguable, legal power they have regardless of the sake of the nation. What about COVID? The vice, the president-elect is having meetings about a pandemic that is killing more than a thousand people a day. And the president, so far as we know, is paying zero attention to it. And Karen, President-elect Biden is trying to set the tone for his administration's approach to the pandemic, which is his main priority right now, his main focus. Take a listen. Mask is not a political statement, but it is a good way to start pulling the country together. It doesn't matter who you voted for. We are Americans and our country is under threat. And in fact, the outgoing governor of Utah last night put out guidance, uh, you know, pushing people in Utah to wear a mask. It's obviously a very different message than what we've heard from President Trump. Right. Well, look, Jake, as we've discussed before, there's absolutely no reason that wearing a mask should be a political issue. It is a safety issue. And as part of his uh, COVID plan and as part of this, you know, vice uh, president-elect, I'm going to have to get used to saying that, uh, president-elect Biden's plan is to slowly but surely reassure the American people there is a team in place, there is a plan in place. We're going to take it day by day as he ramps up his plan uh, to keep Americans safe. And wearing masks is something that we know actually works. And it is in the interest of this country. I'll keep saying it. I think we'll be saying it a lot over the next 72 days for Donald Trump or the people around him to say in a pandemic where you have 10 million cases in the United States, where you have people dying every day, we do not have time for this foolishness. We have to put the good of the country ahead and allow for Joe Biden to continue to move forward with his plans. Bill Crystal, Karen Finney, thanks to both of you. Appreciate it. Claims it is more than 90% effective. The best news yet about a possible coronavirus vaccine. There is some skepticism, though. Stay with us. In our Healthy Today, huge news in the race for a coronavirus vaccine. Pfizer says its vaccine is more than 90% effective in preventing infection, as the U.S. just passed 10 million coronavirus cases. CNN's Athena Jones reports even Dr. Fauci is encouraged. It's a very important day for humanity. It could be the coronavirus vaccine the world has been waiting for. Pfizer and its partner BioNTech announcing an early analysis shows its vaccine candidate is more than 90 percent effective. It is uh, uh, extraordinary that it's coming at a time that the world needs it the most. The company is saying it expects to seek emergency use authorization from the FDA as soon as next week and is on track to produce up to 50 million doses this year and more than a billion next year, saying it will be free for Americans. Dr. Anthony Fauci telling CNN by text, it's extraordinarily good news, while others express cautious optimism. If 
in the deep dive of that data, if that really shows like 90% efficacy, that'd be phenomenal. Because again, the FDA has been clear that even a vaccine that had 50% efficacy would actually help move the ball. The promising news coming as the country reaches another grim milestone. 10 million COVID cases, more than 237,000 lives lost. 43 states now seeing a surge. Sunday was the fifth day in a row the U.S. topped 100,000 new cases in a single day. Many of our hospitals, particularly across the Mountain West, the Midwest, the Upper Midwest, are already getting overwhelmed. Hospitalizations setting records in 19 states, with 30 states hitting their peak seven-day average for new cases on Sunday, including Indiana, where Notre Dame fans, ignoring social distancing guidelines, rushed the football field after the team's upset victory over Clemson on Saturday. The university's president, who was himself diagnosed with COVID-19 after visiting the White House without a mask, announcing new measures, including putting students' registration on hold if they refuse to submit to COVID testing. Meanwhile, new concerns in New York City, once the epicenter of the crisis, where the positivity rate, while still low, is rising once again. And that is dangerous. So we have one last chance to stop a second wave. And Mayor de Blasio says if New York hits that full-blown second wave, it will mean a lot more restrictions, maybe even having to shut down parts of the economy again. The city's health department is now providing more tools to people to help them track the infection rate, releasing new data showing the percent of people who tested positive for COVID-19 by zip code for the past 11 days or past seven days of available data. Okay. All right, Athena Jones, thank you so much. Uh, I want to bring in CNN Chief Medical Correspondent Dr. Sanjay Gupta, who interviewed the CEO of Pfizer uh, this morning. Sanjay, this, new, this news came through a press release, uh, and because it's interim data, not a final analysis, there is not yet a peer-reviewed study. Uh, does that give you any pause about the accuracy of what Pfizer is claiming? Well, I don't think it gives me pause about the accuracy, but it is very early data. So, I, you know, I think it's uh, we got to be careful not to read too much into this, uh, Jake. I think um, this was an independent committee, this data safety monitoring committee that is the first to unblind the data. They actually called uh, the CEO of Pfizer over the weekend at 2 o'clock yesterday to tell him what the data showed. He didn't know the data, and he hasn't actually still seen the data. He's just seen the results. But let me just tell you quickly what, what it was. This is, you know, it's fairly simple, but the numbers are important. 44,000 people roughly have been in this trial, and throughout the trial period, 94 people became infected. It's not a huge number, Jake, uh, but what they found was that uh, if you uh, received the vaccine, you were 90% more protected against people who received the placebo. So the vast majority of the infections were in the placebo group, not the vaccinated group. It's sort of, that's, that's how it works. That's how, you know, they figure these things out. I asked the, the CEO specifically about this and the impact and the, the significance. Here's what he said. 90% is a game changer. 90%, now you're uh, hoping to have a tool in your war against this pandemic that could be significantly effective. Uh, how long this protection will last is something that we don't know right now, but uh, it's part of the objectives of this study. We will follow up the 44,000 people that uh, they received, uh, they are part of this uh, study for two years. And during this follow-up, obviously, we will be looking also uh, the durability of uh, the immune responses. So, Jake, all in all, good news. But, you know, I think the thing that I was driving at with Mr. Borla there was, 
look, you have a disease that for 80% of people, they're going to have minimal or no symptoms, right? So if you say now the vaccine is 90% effective, that's great. It's really important. But is it going to be that effective in the people who are most at risk of getting sick? Mm. Does this vaccine reduce or prevent serious disease as well? And we don't know the answer to that, but that's going to be an important endpoint uh, that to, to figure out. Uh, of course, a lot of uh, people who are fans of the outgoing president, President Trump, including members of his family, are, are now questioning the timing of this announcement uh, after the presidential election was called. Uh, you asked Pfizer's CEO about that. What, do you, what did he have to say? Well, you know, he, he's a scientist and he gave the sort of answer that uh, you'd expect. Listen, listen to what he said specifically. Should we read anything into the, in the fact that this got announced right after the election? Yes, that the science brought it exactly this time. We announced it the moment we, we learned about it. And uh, I said multiple times that the election for us is an artificial uh, timeline. Um, I was predicting that this will happen uh, before the end of October. Eventually, it happened a week uh, uh, later uh, because this is when science brought it to us. You know, Jake, uh, in the beginning, they were having a hard time actually getting enough data. There weren't enough people becoming infected. That's what you need in order to prove the vaccine works. So it was this independent body, the Data Safety Monitoring Board, that unblinded the data. So it wasn't really Pfizer itself, even as an organization that did that. They were then told what the data showed afterwards, you know, yesterday at 2 o'clock. Yesterday was the fifth day in a row that the U.S. reported more than 100,000 new coronavirus cases in a single day. Uh, new cases are, are, all, are up all over the map, up in 43 states. What needs to happen right now to turn this around? And were you upset, as we thought you might be, to see all those crowds together celebrating the Biden-Harris victory, uh, many of them wearing masks, but still gathering? Yeah, I mean, uh, Jake, you know, uh, whether it's a, a rally, political rally, the protests, you know, the virus, uh, as we've said so many times on your program, doesn't care. The virus doesn't care. It likes to jump from person to person. Being outside is much better. Wearing a mask is obviously much better. But, you know, the virus is uh, a very contagious virus that we have established. So uh, it was it was a, a, um, uh, a it's a concern. And what I would say about any plans going forward in terms of you know, really reinforcing masks and, and amping up testing is going to be important. But Jake, I have to say honestly as well, we are we are starting to go into exponential growth in this country. If we implement some of these basic public health strategies in a big way now, have widespread, rapidly available testing, uh, really, you know, lean into masks in a big way, we could bring the curve down faster. But Jake, I don't want to sugarcoat this. I think we're going to be hitting a, a significant apex over the next couple of months. I looked at several models over the weekend, talked to these epidemiologists. I said, what if we just slam the brakes on right now? You can't slam the brakes on right now. This is a huge steamship with lots of inertia moving through the ocean. You slam on the brakes, it's still going to move for a while. So it doesn't mean we don't do things. We have to do things. But it, that's to bring the curve down faster on the other side, which is, you know, several weeks from now. And the vaccine's important. But, you know, it's not going to be widely distributed until probably uh, spring or summer of next year. Former FDA commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb said that if states don't start implementing targeted mitigation, cases are going to explode in the coming weeks. What does that mean? What is targeted mitigation? What does it look like? 
It, it, it's, you know, it's funny. Everyone has different sort of interpretations of this, and everyone takes great pains to avoid saying lockdown or shutdown or circuit breaker. But in many ways, that, that is what they're saying. I mean, you know, Scott Gottlieb is referring to all the public health measures that we're talking about. It's closing down bars, indoor locations where you can't mask and are poorly ventilated, things like that. But this idea that is lurking out there that there may need to be these circuit breaker shutdowns, which, again, no one wants to hear that, I realize, but that is going to be very dependent on what's happening in the hospitals in those areas. If hospitals are simply running out of room and you've already tapped out your regional sort of support in terms of where you could send patients, you're going to have to do something to really stop the spread, the transmission of the virus. And that may be what it is, but targeted, not, not nationwide, and probably very specific types of locations. Indoor places where you can't mask would be the highest on the list. And, and, you know, that, that would go for indoor gatherings, you know, for, for the holiday dinners as well, which is tough. I'd love to see my elderly parents this Thanksgiving, yeah. but we're not going to get a chance to do that. The election may be essentially over. The virus continues charging ahead. Dr. Sanjay Gupta, thanks so much. It Just does. into CNN, a surprising yeah. statement from Georgia's Republican Secretary of State on President Trump's chances of winning any recount. That's next. We have some breaking news for you now on our 2020 lead uh, where Georgia's Republican Secretary of State is, is refusing calls to step down. Both of the state's Republican senators, David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler, uh, who are up for re-election in January in special elections, both of them called for him to resign, uh, though they provided zero evidence of, of any wrongdoing. In an extraordinary statement, Brad Raffensperger called the election, with its record turnout during a pandemic, a resounding success and said later, quote, was there illegal voting? I'm sure there was, and my office is investigating all of it. Does it rise to the numbers or margin necessary to change the outcome to where President Trump has given Georgia's electoral votes? That is unlikely, unquote. CNN's political director, David Chalian, joins me now. We cannot, David, yet project presidential results in Georgia. Tell us where everything stands. Well, take a look at Georgia. Got a few more votes there today. Joe Biden's lead at 11,596 votes, uh, 49.5% to Donald Trump's 49.3%. That's in a range of where a recount can be requested once uh, we get past the certification deadline. And and the Trump campaign's indicated that's likely to happen. So this may go to a recount, but I've never seen a recount, Jake, that overturns uh, 11,500 votes. Let me just show you a couple other places on the map. Uh, We still haven't projected uh, an outcome in Arizona Uh, Joe Biden's lead there has been going in the other direction. It's been on the decline as Donald Trump is making up ground. Uh, He's 16,730 votes ahead. You see here, though, that that's 0.6 percent margin, nowhere near close to what would be needed to trigger an automatic recount in Arizona. And there are still some 75,000, 80,000 ballots that need to be counted in Arizona. So we await those. And, uh, of course, in your home commonwealth of Pennsylvania, Uh, We see now that Joe Biden has a 45,400 vote lead over Donald Trump. It's a 0.7 percent spread. So we're not at that 0.5 percent that would trigger an automatic recount there. And by the way, that margin that Joe Biden has, it's bigger than the margin Donald Trump had over Hillary Clinton four years ago when he won the state, Jake. So when will Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania, when will they be releasing any more votes. When is this going to be over? When are we going to know the final tally? Yeah, I mean, there are different certification deadlines for each state, but we are getting votes every day. We've gotten uh, a a little bit from Georgia today, 
some from Pennsylvania and, and Arizona. But over the next several days, we're going to get uh, most of these votes as they come in. And then within the next uh, two weeks or so, you're going to see uh, certification deadlines hit where that official initial canvas of the vote is reported out as a, as a final tally. All right, David Chalian, thank you so much. Sure. Appreciate that update. Georgia is also likely to decide the balance of power in the U.S. Senate because there are those two runoff elections in January for the two Senate seats, Republican senators. CNN's Manu Raja joins me now. Um, Manu, where is the balance of power in the Senate now? Right now it's 50-48. Republicans have that advantage, which is why it's so significant, these two seats. The Democrats pick up both seats. It'll be an evenly divided 50-50 Senate. And Kamala Harris, with being the vice president, the president of the Senate, there's a constitutional role. She will have the ability to cast tie-breaking votes, meaning the Democrats would have a 50-50 majority in the Senate, being able to essentially set the agenda. Chuck Schumer would be the Democratic leader. They would be able to put any bills that they want on the floor. They would be able to try to move President Biden nominations, but it would still be very difficult to get anything done given that 60 votes would be required to overcome a filibuster to pass legislation. But nevertheless, it's incredibly significant for the first two years of Joe Biden's presidency. Who will be setting the agenda in the Senate, his nominations, his bills, all relying on what happens here in Georgia, Jake. And uh, that special election is January 5th. When are we going to know who won those two Senate races? It could take some time, Jake, if especially if it's so close. So that could be weeks after January 5th. But of course, if one side wins by a bigger margin than the other, perhaps we'll know that evening. And it's also a big question about how many voters will ultimately turn out. Of course, both Donald Trump and Joe Biden, neither of them will be on the ticket. So it's uncertain how big the turnout will be in November's election. Uh, roughly 5 million voters showed up. There are about 7.6 million registered voters in Georgia. So will they have high turnout? Democrats have high hope. Already, Stacey Abrams' organization, who has been instrumental in registering voters, has raised more than $7 million for the runoffs in Georgia. Can they get their numbers up, particularly in those expanding and diversifying suburbs of Atlanta? Both sides will be making their arguments to drive out their base. But a big question will be who ultimately turns out to the polls and who gives the majority to which party come uh, January. And, Manu, the, the two incumbent senators uh, who are up for re-election in January for these special elections, they're now attacking the election integrity. Republican election officials in Georgia, um, that seems potentially unwise. They want Republicans to turn out in droves and have confidence in the system. Yeah, and all along, these two senators, David Perdue, Kelly Leffler, they have been aligning themselves very closely with President Trump. Leffler has said that she is 100% pro-Trump. That's what she argued ahead of November. David Perdue even skipped a debate with his Democratic opponent, John Ossoff, to appear with Donald Trump on the days before November, the November elections. And clearly here, they are also siding with the president's claims that this election was rigged, was stolen. But it's a remarkable pushback, Jake, from that Republican election official saying, no, it wasn't. Yeah, yeah, siding with Trump at potentially their own expense. Uh, Manu Raju, thanks so much. Finally, as coronavirus cases continue to soar, we want to take a moment to remember one of the lives lost in the pandemic. Karen Argabright was a 57-year-old mom, grandma, Air Force veteran. She followed in her dad's footsteps and enlisted in the Air Force right out of high school. She served for 20 years. Argabright was stationed all over the world. She retired with military honors, and her passion was supporting disabled veterans. May her memory and that of all those lost be a blessing. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.